Marlo, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And I want to start with another programming note. We got one long show for you this week, and then I head deep into research mode. I've got a big deadline coming up next week, if you're hearing this reasonably close to when we actually recorded it, and uh, then I should be around a little bit more often. But we have an extended show for you today. We begin, of course, with the news, with an admission by the Biden administration that the borders are open for economic purposes. Now, we all need that to be true, but rarely does the mask slip like this, and it's important to discuss. Then we get into some powerful whistleblower FBI testimony about what it is really like to try to tell the truth about our government if you work within it, and it is not good. Then we cover a massive slate of woke uh, woke issues and a woke update, some 2024 news, and much more in the opening of the broadcast. We have two terrific guests today, constitutional lawyer and gun rights guru Mark Smith, and then Nashville songwriter Wynn Varble, who debuts an, it debuts an amazing new single that is going to trigger the wokesters, I can guarantee it, but they're going to be humming along while they're triggered. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's get into it. something a little bit subtle, but I think really important. Uh, Neil Monroe caught this at uh, Breitbart, but a senior White House official has said that the plan for immigration is actually just to fill jobs in the government, to uh, find money to allocate for spending programs or find places to allocate money for spending programs and to fill jobs at high-tech firms and to grow the economy. So just like we all thought that the one of the main reasons Um, to have the border open is not just because it's woke or something, but because it's actually an economic strategy. And rarely, they've been doing it more often, but rarely do the uh, actual people in power somehow give you this level of clarity into where they're thinking. Uh, This is a woman named Katie Tobin, the senior director for trans-border security in the National Security Council, said that uh, as our economy grows, we need workers we just don't have enough of. So it is in our interest to bring people in and to stay competitive globally. We're creating new jobs. So by the way, implying America is not competitive globally unless we have an open border. You like that? How's that for some gaslighting? The only way for us to be competitive globally is to keep the border open. We're creating new jobs this year as we're breaking ground on key infrastructure projects under the president's bipartisan infrastructure law, the Chips and Science Act, and new green jobs as we implement the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, just so you guys know, the point of the Inflation Reduction Act, according to this National Security Council member, one of the points is is that even though things are getting expensive for you, we're going to be importing a new generation, cheap laborers to compete with you and uh, with your family members. She continued, the Biden-Harris administration appreciates both the moral responsibility and the strategic opportunity that migration presents. It's at the heart of our domestic and foreign policy agenda. Wow. She feels our pain. Um, Mark Krikorian, who runs the Center for Immigration Studies, who we cite very frequently in our immigration reporting at Breitbart, Uh, Sum this up as follows. The federal government is basically serving as a staffing service for American corporations. 
The administration is clearly rooting for large corporations, the Chamber of Commerce, and employers who don't want to raise wages at the expense of ordinary workers. This is a choice, but it should be made clear what they're choosing and whose interests they're serving. That's right. There is frightening stuff. I'm so grateful that this was shown to us. Um, In the meantime, we are just seeing facilities overwhelmed at the border, that many facilities are at max capacity. They've been that way for days. Um, There's things that are five, six fold over capacity. Um, Rooms that are, you know, some of these things. I had this flashback um, to when I was in college at Berkeley. And I just been in the movies with Mrs. Dr. Marlowe. And I was waiting. Someone was in the bathroom. It was either her or someone else we were with. And I, the, it was an empty theater. And I remember I was sitting on some stairs. Uh, and the stairs were in front of a fire exit. And there was no one on the stairs. There was, uh, it was a pretty wide staircase. It was more of a ornate type of thing. And it was a pretty empty room in general. Uh, and I remember watching an usher. And I made eye contact with them the whole time too, because I knew what they were doing the second I saw it. Uh, walk across an entire lobby, like the size of a ballroom, slowly across in their ticket taker uniform, all the way to me as I sat on these stairs, come right up to me and say, you're blocking a fire exit. Now, that's of course not true because I'm flammable as a human being. So if the fire started, I would be something that could potentially catch on fire. So I would get up and leave. So I would not, I was not blocking it at all because the fire did break out that very moment, which it wasn't going to do the empty theater, but let's say it did. I wouldn't stay there. I would choose to stand up and then leave. Um, but this is what they were told by the attorneys. You know, you got to go over there and uh, harass the customers because they broke this rule. Uh, and just think about that when you're seeing these facilities that are supposed to have a thousand people in them and have 6,000. Rooms that are supposed to have 250 in them, but have 700 in them, according to the reporting of uh, Bill Malugin from Fox, who does a great job. So uh, just know the insanity that we all put the law abiding through, the taxpayers, what we all have to endure on a daily basis. The sir, I'm going to need you to do for me right now here, sir. You're going to have to do this right now here, sir. Ma'am, 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 you got to do this here for me, sir, 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 you got to do this throughout your whole day that you notice every single day of your life. And then all these rules go out the window so that we can accommodate all these economic migrants um, to so that we can spend money on them in the uh, the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, which raised inflation. Nice. Uh, very disheartening. Even New York Magazine admitted, uh, John Binder writes this up for Breitbart News for us, that mass immigration is bad for housing prices. Can you imagine that? That when you flood the zone with new people, that it actually creates an upward pressure on how much it costs to live. That is what happens when there are uh, there is lower demand. Then the price goes down. When there's higher demand, the price goes up. You learn that in the first half an hour of economics class you took at your community college. So it's a and we act like we're in denial of this. Their border it hurts Americans and it benefits. Big corporations, the international community, Democrat voter base. Sad. A lot of sad stuff going on. A mind-blowing story 
from FBI whistleblower Garrett O'Boyle, who talked to the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, um, talking to Jim Jordan and others. And he was warning against actually coming out as a whistleblower because the government doesn't take care of you if you've got the wrong politics. Uh, Some of his testimony is that in a weaponized fashion, the FBI allowed me to accept orders to a new position halfway across the country. They allowed us to sell my family's home. They ordered me to report to the new unit when our youngest daughter was only two weeks old. Then on my first day of the new assignment, they suspended me, rendering my family homeless. Refused to release our household goods, including our clothes, for weeks. All I wanted to do was serve my country by stopping bad guys and protecting the innocent. To my chagrin, bad guys have been running parts of our government, making it difficult to continue to serve this nation and protect the innocent. So the the FBI is not good. I don't think I need to tell anyone in this audience this. Um, but basically warning that you are going to be treated like this by our government if you choose to blow the whistle. I, I couldn't help but think about how we had that phony baloney FBI whistleblower, probably Eric Chiamarella, who caused Trump to get impeached for no reason, even though he blew the whistle on nothing and knew nothing. And, you know, you couldn't post his name on Facebook. It would get censored. I literally ran Paul brought his name up on a uh, in the congressional record in a Senate hearing, and that got censored. But if you blow the whistle on the wrong stuff, the FBI could come after you. Um, they misused their surveillance powers nearly 300,000 times in a two-year period, according to court documents. Christina Wong is a write-up for us at Breitbart News. This will stun you, including against January the 6th protesters. Imagine that. So um, this is, yeah, the FISA system, obviously, it's got some problems too. Uh, how can our top law enforcement agent agency be like this and have us continue to maintain our status, our elite superpower status? It can't. Uh, the government is now weaponized. We now see that Americans are the biggest threat. We know this because we've heard the you know insane claims that there's factions of white supremacists that are the biggest threat to the country. No one knows who these people are, where they meet, where they get organized, but we're told they're the worst thing in the country. And then you get stuff like President Biden beginning his uh, his conference G7 summit in Hiroshima, which is taking place or is just wrapping. Um, and he's going after Republicans uh, over the debt limit. So before turning to the important work we accomplish here at the G7, I want to take a few minutes addressing the budget negotiations that I'm heading back home to deal with. Before I left with this trip, I met with all four congressional leaders and we agreed that the only way to move forward was a bipartisan agreement. Now it's time for the other side to move from their extreme position because much of what they've already proposed is simply, quite frankly, unacceptable. That is our U.S. president who is speaking at an international stage and has a opportunity to show international leadership, something that you think would be a, a, a pleasure for someone who's wanted to be president his whole life is finally president. Um, and I, I've recently endured reading both of Biden's memoirs. Yes, I've done that. I'll tell you why soon, but I've, I've, I've done that. And um, he really brags about his foreign policy record. It's very important to him. 
he thinks of himself as the top diplomat in the world. And he figured he'd be Secretary of State if um, he hadn't been Vice President for Barack Obama. So, and he wanted to be in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee right away when he got to the Senate. And so here he is in the world stage talking about the debt limit. And he's lying about it too. The proposals put forward by Republicans is popular. The polling is popular on it. And it includes increasing the debt limit, which is something that, you know, years ago, if we had this debate, people on the right, Republican voter base, wouldn't have accepted that at all. And we, we are, the, the Republicans are willing to do it so long as we're not increasing spending and we're, we're making some cuts here and there. $32 trillion closing in on for national debt. It's a, you guys know I'm not Mr. Dick guy, Mr. Deficit guy. But how long is it going to go on? Again, there's this 14th Amendment talk. Um, the Fourth Amendment. For 14th Amendment addressing, it, it used to address extreme measures. Never been done before because it sounds impossible. Um, it is... Uh, it's, it was something that was passed over 150 years ago, and it is uh, something that's it's almost too complicated for me. It's kind of beyond my constitutional knowledge to even be able to fully explain it. I've tried this last time when it first came up, but it's so far-fetched this would be used in this debt negotiation. Even Janet Yellen, who is a real softy, says it can't be appropriately used to raise the debt limit. So, and she should know, she ran the Fed, she ran the Treasury Department, and she's a creature of the left. She's one of the more liberal people in the cabinet. So she's not trying to get in Biden's way. And we keep acting like the debt limit doesn't matter. Uh, we sent another $375 million in weapons to Ukraine. Well, we can't stop. It just This is one of the predictions I made that I repeat a lot, but I am proud of it, I guess. I mean, it shows, I guess I'm proud to not be an idiot. But I knew that once we exceeded, really, the once that first check came out, and it was $100 billion, and there was um, no accountability for where the $100 billion was going to go. And the Senate, including Republicans, didn't care that we would not really know where the $100 billion to Ukraine was going to go. I knew that number would never stop, so long as the Ukraine and Russia are going to be at war. And that might be another 20 years. So it's essentially a proxy war. And we can do it right now because it is still not in the best interest of Russia to, you know, nuke America. So, so long as that's the case, we can get away with it. But we're basically fighting a proxy war via Zelensky and we won't stop spending for it. And we won't even tell you where the money's going and we're going to keep cutting checks. So all the reports are Ukraine's having some real setbacks in that war. I, I don't bring it up a lot on the show. I, I find it to be, first of all, I, it, it annoys me because the whole world acts like this is the only conflict that matters and it's the only border conflict that matters, which is really irritating to me. But also it's very hard to get truthful information because both sides are uh, master propagandists, including Ukraine. So, But we do cover it day-to-day at Breitbart. Um, Oliver Lane does an amazing job as well as Francis and Hayward. So if, if you need your Ukraine fix, we'll get it for you. But uh, you can tell it's not my favorite. Um, 
McCarthy's digging in on the, his deposition, saying that the president would rather be the first president to default than cut radical spending. I don't even know what a default would look like. It'd be pretty mild overall. But he does want to cut spending. And that's where McCarthy said, you got to do it. You got to cut spending. And I think McCarthy's right. I think we got to convince Biden on it. Biden is terrible with money. He's always been bad with money. He was bad with, I will make this point a thousand times probably over the next year. He was bad with money when he was a young man. He was bad with money uh, as an old man, and he's bad with money as president. He spends more than he makes. So he's always done. Doesn't know any better. He doesn't know any, any other approach than to keep spending. He's always had the ability to get money from federal government and spend it without accountability, and that's all he's going to do. Um, he was doing a lot of stumbling though around the G7. So a lot of a lot of falling over. It's the um, do you guys like the Biden's trips and falls content? I'm not a huge Biden trips and falls guy. Like a lot of people love that stuff. I'm kind of over it. If I was him, I would trip and fall on purpose because it always throws people off. It makes him seem like a like a weakling, and in the meantime, he kind of keeps getting what he wants. But there were some railings there, and he didn't go for the railings because I guess that would have made him seem weak. So instead, he would do his little weird shuffle. Um, Juicier Biden news. Hunter Biden claimed he was broke at a child support hearing, and he had how, how did he get to the hearing? By a private jet. Pretty good, right? So um, the jet was at least 55000 Dollars New Post reported, where he claimed he didn't have enough money. Uh, the amount of money Hunter has is probably just an insane level. I, I was going through some of the old Biden deals as part of my big research that uh, project that I'm working on, uh, and or some of my one of them, and I'll, I'll share with you some of them. But reliving some of them. Uh, There's some of them that are still mysterious where he sold companies or parts of companies to massive Chinese government connected entities. And we don't really know the details of the sale. And these companies do huge levels of business, like billion dollar deals. So how he'd be out of money. I mean, I know he's got a he's got a crack thing going on. And I know he's got some a lot of strippers. He's got to he's got to keep funded. But he should not be broke. And I don't believe that he's broke. I believe he's hiding money so he doesn't have to pay his baby's mama. All right. Um, let's talk 2024 for a moment. Harvard Harris poll says uh, DeSantis support continues to collapse. DeSantis is probably going to announce this week and it's going to be awkward. Um, Trump is pulling at 58%. Um, and DeSantis at 16 uh, and I, I don't know what the plan is to get to bridge the 42 point gap and why he would declare after he was. I'll tell you if DeSantis had declared five, six months ago, I, I would have thought he had a real shot. And now I, I just I don't even understand. And, and one other thing that Trump understands is that in a two way race, DeSantis closes the gap a little bit. So. Trump's probably going to encourage everyone else to run. Um, if Glenn Youngkin runs, if Tim Scott runs, which he's probably going to declare, um, you know, everyone loves Vivek. I mean, like all these people could pull away from the DeSantis vote and split the never Trump vote. I had to have said this on the show close to a year ago, probably 
where the only path to beat Trump is everyone consolidates behind one guy. And now you've got all these people in. Pence is probably going to get in. Haley's in. I don't know about Hutchison. Is it Hutchinson? Hutchinson? Hutchinson. Yeah. Um, they're going to get some more people in the race, but they're all going to kind of pull away if that's the answer. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know how he's going to bridge the gap. I know he lost some weight, though, and he's got the huge wedges in his heel. So he's... Because presidents are typically tall. It's one of the guarantees of life is that the taller candidate wins. So uh, that, that is something you can take to the bank. And Biden's pretty tall, too. So Santa's is not going to be the tallest guy. So he's got to get the wedges out. Um, in the Harvard-Harris poll, Trump is beating Biden. Now, this is one where I'm more reluctant on this. Trump's up by seven, but I just don't know if that's real in the Harvard-Harris poll. Just because the electoral college just favors Democrats so much. Um, but uh, DeSantis now, his latest thing, and you guys know that this one is, you guys might like it, but it rubs me the wrong way. Uh, we, can never, we can never allow warp speed to trump informed consent in the country ever again, making fun of Operation Warp Speed. So uh, it's the the Operation Warp Speed. The right doesn't like this because the vaccine mandates and we all hate the mandates. The mandates were horrible and it should have been illegal. But Operation Warp Speed probably saved a million lives, maybe two million lives, maybe more. So it's an unbelievable story and one of the greatest accomplishments by President Trump. Um, Everyone on the right now just associates it with, you know, vaccine mandates, which they shouldn't. But DeSantis was a big promoter of Operation Warp Speed. And there's a photo of him promoting it with a mask on. So I just don't get it. I think he's been an amazing governor. I like the anti-woke stuff. Um, the NAACP coming out and saying that the the warning against travel because of hate-inspired leadership in Florida. A travel advisory from the NAACP. Left-wing group. Trying to race bait. I mean, that to me scores points with DeSantis for me. Um, My head of research for my little research team is a guy named Jacob McLeod. He's a really bright guy, and he's a Floridian. And um, I asked him, I said, give me your hot take on the NAACP posting a travel warning to Florida. And his response was, it's dangerous here. I thought that was perfect. He lives in Tallahassee, so it is dangerous. But it is a, I mean, just the thought. And of all the places, not New York City, not Chicago, not San Francisco, the dangerous part, place in this country for black people, Ron DeSantis is Florida. I mean, that's stuff I love. I love that he's getting that type of negative attention. That's powerful. I will tell you someone who will not pull votes for, from DeSantis. That is Chris Christie. Chris Christie is allegedly going to run. Uh, it is. He's missed his moment, I think, by at least... 15, 20 years. Uh, it's the who who wants to hear anything from Chris Christie, much less have him run. Uh, what is he going to run on? What has he been? What has he been doing? I know he put a book out that really bombed last year. I know he complains about Trump. I mean, what does he do? But he's going to run. Apparently, I, I, who does he pull votes from? I mean, why would there's some people just the narcissism of our politicians? I know it's a skill. And I kind of admire it. I'm a little jealous because I don't, I think I have too much. Um, I would say, I'll say the negative too much pride, but I'll say the positive, not enough 
shame, not enough shamelessness, not enough shamelessness to, to run for this type of stuff. But just the thought that I'm going to run and if I crack one full percent, it'll be a win. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to run. It's just, it's just remarkable. Um, so Disney was going to build a billion dollar Florida complex and uh, it, they're not going to do it anymore. Now, there's some logic to this economically, and I will be fair on this. Um, there's some logic that Florida has incredibly low unemployment. Um, and the Florida does not like Disney and doesn't really need more jobs. So it is one of those places where they got plenty of jobs and you bring in a bunch of jobs. It actually could drive up wages. It could, I'm sorry, drive up rent price. It could drive down wages, et cetera. So I understand why, you know, DeSantis doesn't need try to move heaven and earth to try to indulge Disney on this. Um, but Newsom in California is framing as a win for California because this was, you know, something that was going to not be in California instead it was going to be in Florida. And that stuff is going to be tricky for DeSantis to manage. It, it, that works very well in a reddish state. And that works very well in conservative media, that type of content. But it is uh, when you got you're given Trump fodder and you're given the national media fodder. That's going to be tough to explain to people why it's a positive, why a billion dollar a Disney deal got scrapped for your state and stayed in blue California. Um, because there is more to life than woke. Not much, though. There's a lot of woke stuff out there that's worth reporting. The, the Pulitzer Prize or a Pulitzer Prize. They, they give these things out pretty easily. Um, the Pulitzer Prize now embrace the transgender agenda, according to David Ng, Professor Breitbart News. They are um, awarding a trans woman, which means a man, named Andrea Long Chu, with the prize uh, for a criticism, recognizing her book, which means his books, or book reviews, that appeared in... Uh, Vox Media owned New York Magazine um, and the site Vulture. So uh, Chu is man, clearly a man. And are you sitting down? Not particularly attractive and has got really bizarre alterations to his body to look like a woman. Um, But is a true pervert. And uh, says, I, I will not, I will say something to you. I don't want you to look this up, particularly if there's anyone who will check your, your source history in your life. But uh, in his book, um, he, or one of his books, I won't even plug the name of it. He talks about how he loves a genre of porn called sissy porn. And that sissy porn is what made him trans. And he explains this. And I will say, even though I, um, I don't, I don't tend to keep the show G rated necessarily, but I will tell you that the, the, this is one where I'm not going to test your stomachs and force you to listen to Howard right now, uh, by explaining this. So choose to look that up or not. But it is truly revolting stuff that we've written up. And this is a person that's now getting rewarded with the Pulitzer, which is a huge joke. The Pulitzer, of course, gave awards to New York Times and the Washington Post for the Russian collusion hoax. I mean, can you imagine like all the champagne that was popped in the offices of the New York Times, Washington Post for their Russian collusion hoax Pulitzers? 
and it was all false. And then we at Breitbart, we got it right from the start. If you go to my Twitter, uh, by the way, you can see I bumped my interview I did with Bill Maher six years ago where I explained there's not one piece of evidence Trump colluded with Russia. It was aged very nicely. Probably the best thing I've done on TV and um, worth, worth, worth checking in on it. But we knew that it was bogus from the start, as did, I think, anyone who actually paid attention. And yet Pulitzer was giving out you know, prizes for people who were spreading the lies that Trump colluded with Russia. The State Department is promoting transgenderism over gay rights. So there's a big battle going on between the, the trans and then the gays. So the, the T's are finally splitting off from the L's and the G's. And uh, I, I'm interested in how it shakes out. T's definitely have the upper hand right now in the culture. But the L's, L's and the G's definitely getting, a I think, disenfranchised. Or a few other items. New York City has lost nearly half a million residents in two years. That's stunning stuff. I think New York's got about 8 million people or so. And um, lost, closing in on 9 million and now down to just over 8 million. Two years. Um, I got one living with me. Uh, My sister Molly, she's one of them. Took off. And why not? Expensive, filthy crime. And hopelessly left wing. PetSmart is pushing the LGBT agenda for Pride Month. Ooh, got the LGBT uh, pet content. I like that. Pride collection for reptiles, aquatics, and small pets. We got the <laughs> we got the LGBT scarf for the dogs. Um, speaking of LGBT, Brittany Griner had her first WNBA game and uh, stood for the national anthem, even though the protests go on in the WNBA, but uh, did not, did not sell out. People weren't, didn't, weren't dying for more Brittany Griner, but she got a lot of media coverage and she did stand. So good for her. She said some relatively nice things about this country. She said some relatively nice things about this country, things she shouldn't have had to say. But she said, just being able to hear my national anthem, see my flag, I definitely want to stand. Now, everybody that will not stand or not come out, I totally support them 100%. Um, But I appreciate everything a little bit more, all my small moments. And she went on to say some pretty decent human stuff after she got traded for the merchant of death, Victor Boot, who is no doubt thinking of creative ways to kill Americans and they're good guys. So thanks, Biden. Nice one. Uh, it, it, one thing that was cracking me up, and you'll have to go to Breitbart London and check this out, but uh, it, it, Italia, uh, Italy Prime Minister Georgia Maloney, one of the cooler public figures, uh, was just visibly furious with Justin Trudeau, who was pushing LGBT stuff at the G7. And you could see her face. It's, it's very memeable. Um. All right, the, should I mention that CNN is saying some women are opting for sterilization post-Roe? What are your thoughts on that? I I do want thoughts on that. I'd say, yeah, I will throw this out there, the audience. It's the, this is not, this is sort of bullying, light bullying. CNN's reporting that after Roe versus Wade that women want to sterilize themselves uh, because it's harder for them to get legal abortions. Not impossible, it's just more difficult for the illegal abortions in this country. And that doesn't make me less pro-life. It doesn't make me want to have babies born less. It makes me want to have them born more. 
Because if you're the type of person who would rather kill an innocent life uh, so badly that you have these emotional reactions to it, where you're willing to mutilate your body over it, that's not convincing to me. That sounds like you're crazy. And if you really can't control yourself to the point where you can't put yourself in risky sexual situations, you can't trust yourself to avoid risky sexual situations, uh, then, you know, it's not a huge disappointment to me if you choose not to have children. Just seems like a fundamental. But yeah, this is portrayed by CNN, which is, you know, probably typed and edited by types of people with the politics we're all familiar with that they're acting like this is really convincing to people. Wow. People are thinking about sterilization. They're going to hurt their bodies all because of unlimited right to abortions. That's really moving to me. Now the pandemic is winding down. We have to keep an eye on where the woke science crowd, where they start putting their focus. The world, the world health organization now is warning 9 million annual deaths are coming from climate change. So think about this. Um, Johns Hopkins tracked the coronavirus until I think it was March 2023. Yeah, March 10th, 2023. And the global total death toll that they had was less than 7 million. So from the biggest pandemic we've had in 100 years. You know, the World Health Organization is saying, and and that's over a three-year period. So that was three years. So World Health Organization is saying three times that many people are going to die per year from climate change. This is coming. So maybe it's a good thing that everyone left New York. New York's an island. So really the climate change uh, uh, deaths are going to come. I mean, they're going to hit New York pretty early, right? So I guess that's 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 what's going to be next. This is a sad one. You got to be aware of this stuff. In, uh, in Europe, they're actually discussing demolishing historic buildings and starting over it's from the Italian Central Bank uh, and why in the name of climate change this is the Great Reset stuff so they want to make the buildings more efficient so these beautiful European structures I mean their their architecture is like artwork and it needs to be preserved but instead when we move into this uh, function over form obsession that we've been in where everything is about ruthless efficiency and is more about sustainability and not about beauty, then this is going to be a real risk. And I I got a feeling on the trend we're on, they're going to start doing this stuff. They're going to start knocking down beautiful old buildings, the type of buildings that all of us enrich our lives when we see them because they're not perfectly efficient. So I'm nervous about this one. You got to keep an eye on it. You're not going to get to net zero. We're not going to be able to get to net zero emissions. Uh, when we have any inefficient buildings and not to mention it'll be a big government works project to tear down the beautiful buildings and stand up the super efficient monstrosities. Oh, another happy set of stories to start the day as always with Breitbart News Daily. Smith 
has all of the great attributes of a great guest. He is a true expert in his field, which is the Second Amendment. He's an attorney, and he is also high energy. He is prolific in terms of writing and on YouTube and showing up on shows. Uh, so I'd love to talk to guys like this. So let's speak to Mark Smith. First of all, thanks for being here on Breitbart News Daily. Um, but putting the left in checkmate, the left support for the Ukraine war forces them to embrace gun rights was the article we had at Breitbart News. But the book is called Disarmed. What the Ukraine War Teaches Americans About the Right to Bear Arms. You always bring it back to historical context, but you also bring it back to what's happening currently at the moment. And going through some of your commentary on this and what we posted at Breitbart, I, you made a pretty convincing case that the Ukraine War is the number one reason right now for that justifies the Second Amendment. It backs it up completely. Well, absolutely. I mean, I like to teach Americans about the importance of the right to bear arms and the right to bear arms as the founders understood it was a means by which innocent Americans, law-abiding Americans can thwart all forms of tyranny, whether it be the common criminal, whether it be domestic uh, violence, whether it be civil unrest, whether it be animal attacks, and yes, indeed, whether it be foreign invaders or those people who would be interested in becoming foreign yes. invaders and armed citizenry, which is what the Second Amendment helps guarantee, serves as a check on all of that. And as we're seeing today, Alex, think about this. We have Joe Biden in the White House saying that the Second Amendment is a relic, that Americans don't need guns, right? Semi-automatic guns, which no army in the world uses as their standard you know, rifles, semi-automatic rifles. We're supposed to lose our AR-15s, which is semi-automatic rifles. And yet at the exact same time, here we have Joe Biden and the administration turning over fully automatic machine guns to the Ukrainian wow. citizens to fight the foreign invader Russia, right? And uh, that, to me, just checkmates the left to show that, indeed, that arms do save lives against all forms of tyranny, again, whether it be common street criminals or, indeed, foreign invaders and others that will take away your liberty in that way. Yeah, and this is, of course, commonsensical because Joe Biden acts like the Second Amendment was written just for hunting. And it's the I, I know that it was not, but I want you, you're a constitutional scholar, constitutional attorney. Uh, to tell me, uh, correct Joe Biden on this for me. Well, the easy there's many ways to do it, but I would like to quote a famous Supreme Court justice that I try to make. Uh, known in the Second Amendment community. That is the youngest Supreme Court justice ever, a man named Joseph Story. Now, Joseph Story was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court by President James Madison. Madison was the author of the Constitution. Now, the reason why Joseph Story is so important, and people may have heard about him, although they may not remember it, he is the author of the Supreme Court opinion in the famous Amistad case which is the case that we all remember from the Steven Spielberg movie called Amistad, where he wrote the opinion that freed the slaves that had rebelled using violence against the enslavers on that Spanish ship in the movie Amistad. Now, Joseph Story is the earliest American commentator on the Constitution and what it meant. He wrote the book. He was a professor of law and a Supreme Court justice and an attorney, and he wrote the first definitive account of what the Constitution meant as a commentator. And when he got to the section 
on the Second Amendment right to bear arms, he specifically said that the right of citizens to bear arms is the palladium of the republic. It is the essence of the republic because you cannot have a citizenry if you don't have, among other things, the right to bear arms. You have to have the right to private property. You have to have the right to vote, and you have to have the right to defend yourself with the right to arms. And Justice Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story, who's been quoted repeatedly by the United States Supreme Court throughout our 200-year history here in the United States, Joseph Story emphasized that the importance of the Second Amendment is indeed to thwart foreign invasion, civil unrest, domestic insurrections, common criminals, animals, and all of the above. And that was not Mark Smith. It was not the Four Boxes Diner. It was not the NRA. It was Joseph Story, the youngest Supreme Court justice in history, and probably perhaps one of the top two or three most important ones ever. And again, he was one of the earliest ones that really did dictate how the Supreme Court would function for the last 200 plus years. That was Joseph Story, a huge supporter of the right to bear arms and a man that Americans should all know about. But of course, that's not taught in history classes in America because we have to learn about other things, uh, according to the liberal uh, teachers. Amazing. What a story. Mark Smith is with me. The Four Boxes Diner on YouTube disarmed what the Ukraine war teaches Americans about the right to bear arms. Let's go back to Ukraine. And are we giving weapons? Are we doling out weapons? Are we giving assurances that weapons are only going to train military personnel or are normal citizens being able to use the weaponry that we're getting to them to try to defend themselves on their own? Well, of of course not. Of course not. As to how those weapons get doled out, that ultimately is up to the Ukrainians. And we know for a fact, and I report this in the book, uh, Disarmed, that there are countless examples of Ukrainian citizens training with arms and learning how to use arms and helping fight alongside the armed forces of Ukraine. In other words, you basically have armed citizens in the Ukraine now becoming a a de facto militia fighting alongside alongside the formal military of the Ukraine government. And what's interesting now, and this is what I found most interesting and what got me actually to write this book, Disarmed, is that if you go back, if you go back about 15 or 20 years, right, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton were both heavily influential in disarming Ukraine because after the fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine had massive amounts of small arms. They had rifles, AK-47s, AK, uh, you know, the ammunition that went along with it. They even have nuclear weapons stockpiles. And yet it was the American politicians on the left, the disarmament group of Obama, who at the time was a senator, by the way, and, you know, Bill Clinton encouraged this. Well, they basically, and I, and I quote them extensively in this book, they said for the, for the security of the Ukrainian people, we need to disarm them. And they, of course, they, they destroyed all their nuclear weapons stockpiles. They sold off all their small arms. I think a lot of it actually was sold uh, to African countries, as I recall. So the point is that we, the disarmament community in America, encouraged the Ukrainians to disarm themselves. And lo and behold, uh, now they've been invaded because they were vulnerable to an attack. And by the way, this is very important. About 10 years ago, the Ukrainians contemplated adopting a Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. They literally contemplated doing the exact same thing we did about a decade ago, and I write extensively about what they did and what they contemplated, and they ultimately chose not to adopt a right to keep and bear arms, a, you know, a Ukrainian version of our Second Amendment. They chose not to do that over a decade ago, which I point out is you know, now, of course, they're paying the price, and we 
as Americans, which is why I wrote the book, I didn't write the book about the Ukraine war. I wrote the book to say to Americans, never give up your right to keep and bear arms. Look at the mistakes the Ukrainian people made in not adopting the Second Amendment, in buying into the, the myths of Bill Clinton and, and Barack Obama that they don't need, they did not need arms. And then the price they've now paid, and now perhaps too, they may be too little too late or maybe not too late, we'll see, uh, have now begged for small arms of the exact same of things that they had at one point, but they gave away, and now they're begging, uh, going, Mother, may I, to governments around the country to have these small arms given to them now to fight the Russians, which they never needed to give up in the first instance. So we need to learn our lessons here in America. We cannot give up our right to bear arms. We cannot give up our armed citizenry. It is a tremendous asset for this country and deters all sorts of people from doing bad things to us. So according to your reporting, Ukraine's President Zelensky handed out 25,000 fully automatic weapons to civilians. Tens of thousands of other Ukrainians also went out to buy AR-15s and AK rifles. Uh, These are specifically the guns that Joe Biden and the Democrat left here in the United States say people don't need. And then we are, our top priority in the world, apparently, is to get them to Ukrainian civilians. Has anyone pointed this out other than political conservatives? Because this seems like one of the most important points you could possibly make in uh, in current affairs right now. No, it, this is the kind of view that is only talked about by a handful of people that are interested in the Second Amendment. But, but it's interesting because I, I, I go through an extensive list of people who, you know, on the one hand, Joe Biden says that, again, Americans do not need semi-automatic quote-unquote, weapons of war, which, of course, semi-automatic just means you pull the trigger once it fires one round. These guns have been around for 200 years, not semi-automatics, but, you know, the notion of pulling the trigger once and firing once. And the semi-automatic technology has been around for 100 years. So none of this is new. And, and we are told that we don't need this here in America. And yet at the same time, Joe Biden is sending fully automatic machine guns, which, which by the way, very few people in America own, these semi, own machine guns. Uh, they've effectively been banned since the 1930s. That's an entirely technically true. You can still technically get one. I won't bore you with the details there. But by and large, ordinary Americans do not have machine guns today. And yet these machine guns are being shipped to Ukraine to fight the Russians. So at the same time, Biden wants Americans disarmed. He's arming Ukrainian citizens. And, uh, yeah, I think that that needs to be driven home repeatedly, uh, the hypocrisy of sort of the anti-gun left, which is all about arming Ukrainian citizens and somehow at the same time wants to disarm American citizens. Uh, You tell me the motive there. uh, There's a lot of guess as to why they, they believe that's the case. Uh, Biden is known for kind of blowing with the political winds, and he seems to have, uh, if you would, if you're going to give him credit for anything, he seems to have pretty good instincts on when to do that. Uh, and he was a, a big assault weapons ban guy, who's one of the guys who pushed that. And he, the way he talks about guns, you can tell he is no interest in it. He's no interest in Second Amendment history. He doesn't value it as a core American value, which it is. Uh, but he does see the practicality of it when it comes to Ukraine. And it's just stunning to to watch it because if he understands this hypocrisy, he's certainly not letting on to it. And your history about how Ukraine doesn't have the Second Amendment at all, but we do. And yet we are in a way enabling them to have the rights we're supposed to have. So let, let's turn back stateside. 
what is the left's anti-gun agenda right now and evaluate the progress it's making right now in, in the Biden era? Because we always need to be on guard for this. Yeah, you know, the ultimate goal of the anti-gun left in America is that only the government has a monopoly on guns and that all Americans are disarmed. Now, they will tell you that's not true. Obviously, that is false. They do not want you to have guns. And if you have guns, and this is something not a lot of people have noted, but I'm going to note right here. And if you have guns, you will not be allowed to use those for self-defense. For example, in England, you cannot use firearms for self-defense. Even if you have guns, as a general matter, you can't use them for self-defense. Now, I tie that into, by the way, what happened on the subway uh, with the U.S. Marine just a couple weeks ago, where, again, the reason why a reason why he's being indicted, in my view, is to discourage Americans from exercising the right to self-defense. Because the right to keep and bear arms, Alex, has no meaning if they tell you, yeah, you can have guns, but you can't use it for self-defense. Then what the point of the guns, right? So we also have to be aware of that. And yeah, I, I, the overall, the anti-gun agenda in America is doing terribly, terribly, because you can see that they eventually have essentially abandoned, quote unquote, red states. You know, they're no longer spending the resources they used to in states like Florida, because frankly, they're losing. And we know they're losing just statistically, because the number of states that have permitless carry, which means you can carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home without a permit, has gone from one when I was a child, which was Vermont, to now I think it's 27. And that number is growing. So Americans are overwhelmingly moving in favor of the Second Amendment. So, And then if you look at where the anti-gunners are going, they're going back to those handful of blue states where they control all the organs of government. They're going back to New York and trying to harass gun owners there. They're going back to New Jersey. They're going back to Oregon, to Washington State. They're going back to California. So they're redoubling and tripling down on all their efforts in those states because they control the governments there. But they've largely, not entirely, but largely largely abandoned a lot of the rest of the country because they are losing terribly there. Not to mention that we have the most robust uh, Second Amendment court that we've seen in our lifetime that's actually enforcing the Second Amendment as a fundamental right. Now, the significance of the Supreme Court saying that the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms is as fundamental as any other right, which means they are putting that right on par with other rights such as the right to life. So it's a very big deal when the Supreme Court says the right to keep and bear arms is as fundamental as any other right, which is what they have now said. Fascinating. So a lot of the battle right now is taking place state by state, and you just always have to be concerned when this is where it is, because for whatever reason, the, the it feels like it is always an uphill climb to defend the Second Amendment because it's just on the left strategy is when they feel like they can't get anything done on a national level, they always head to a state level. Do you see any places that you think are particularly bright spots or weak spots right now in the gun agenda? Well, in the, in the pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun rights agenda, there's a lot of bright spots, a lot of them. Number one is the growth of permitless carry or constitutional carry to 27 states, and that number is growing. That's number one. Number nice. two is, and this is counterintuitive, but I think the COVID experience and the riots of 2020 have taught all Americans – or almost all Americans, not just red state Americans, that the reality is you are your own first responder, that the police, no matter how earnest and hardworking they are, as a practical matter, cannot get there almost all the time before a mass shooting occurs, before a riot breaks out. And at the end of the day, 
you have to protect yourself and your family. And that's why we see some of the fastest growing areas of gun purchases is in like the African-American community among women, even places in like California, the number of people that have decided they need to get a gun to protect themselves and their family has grown astronomically. And I think that's because people watch the news and they say, yeah, um, you know, a mass shooting is terrible, but it just proves that, you know, cops cannot get there to protect us. Government is not going to be there to protect us. Um, it's just not realistic. It never happens. So we need to do it ourselves. And that sort of self-reliance when it comes to self-defense is sort of another bright spot in the sense that people get to the reality of they under they finally have been educated that no matter how good the government is, no matter how good the cops are, you better protect yourself because you're just never going to get there in time. And I think the other bright spot, of course, is the Supreme Court. People ask me, you know, wh- what do you think? What was Donald Trump's greatest accomplishment when it came to the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms? And I say there's three there, there's three names: Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Those Supreme Court confirmations are the greatest legacy that President Trump has given to the right to keep and bear arms and to the Constitution and respect for it, because certainly the left hates the Constitution because they don't like checks and balances, and the world they want to live in, as I see it, is they want to lord over Americans from five cities and just have those five cities dictate policy for all Americans, no different than like London dictates policy for everyone in the United Kingdom. That's where the left wants to go. They don't like the Constitution because it prevents that outcome from occurring. Fascinating stuff. Again, Mark Smith is with me. I want to talk about, first of all, everyone should pick up the book Disarmed, What the Ukraine War Teaches Americans About the Right to Bear Arms. But tell me about the Four Boxes Diner, the YouTube channel. I've been using it as a resource, and I really want to recommend that to the audience. But I want you to tell me about it. Well, you know, my background is uh, I, I was a longtime practicing litigator in New York City and across the country with huge cases, a Wall Street lawyer for, for decades. I then kind of moved into academia and became a professor, uh, an academic and scholar with an emphasis on the Second Amendment. And I looked around and realized that there was a sort of a, a lack of knowledge about the detailed historical geeky scholarly information about the Second Amendment. There was a lot of people in the anti-gun community doing this because they were, you know, in Ivy League schools doing what you would expect at Ivy League schools, which is writing an agenda items that was not consistent with my view of American history. And I wanted to rebut that for ordinary Americans. So I created the Four Boxes Diner Second Amendment channel on YouTube so people can get access to the super inside, highly legal, highly technical, geeky Second Amendment scholarship stuff so they become what I like to say the smartest person in the room. And that's why I created the Four Boxes Diner Second Amendment channel. And I called it the Four Boxes Diner, a diner because I wanted it to be casual conversation and not a lecture. And the Four Boxes, of course, the Four Boxes of American Liberty, three of which were identified by Frederick Douglass. So that's the reference to the Four Boxes Diner, casual conversation about the most important boxes of American liberty, one of which, of course, is the cartridge box or the firearm referenced by Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist in the late 19th century. Uh, that is really important. So, so give me the uh, get, uh, get, give me the four boxes. You've got the it's l- l- let me see if I remember my history. The soapbox, the ballot box the jury box and the cartridge box. Is that true? Or do I have that That's wrong? That's correct. Those are the four boxes okay, of so, American Liberty. All right. So, so I love this. So, 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 so give me why the cartridge box would be up there. We know the right to the soapbox, free speech, ballot box, the right to vote jury. Uh, the, uh, you could speak to that probably better than I could because you're a constitutional scholar. Speak to those last two, the jury and the cartridge box, because those are sort of the most relevant for this conversation. 
Well, the jury box refers to the rule of law. It's a reference that says that all people are treated equal in front of the law. That doesn't mean everyone's equal, right? It's that they're treated equally by the government and by the law. And that's what the jury box is about. Now, the cartridge box is about sort of a final check on tyranny. Remember, the whole Constitution, including the Second Amendment, was all about protecting fundamental human freedom from a dangerous, tyrannical government, which we hope never occurs. But we, you know, the Founding Fathers uh, really knew their history, and they knew what would cause tyranny to reign in parts of the world, because they went back 2,000 years and studied it. And again, they learned from Greco-Roman times the three most important things you have to have to be a free citizen, as opposed to a serf and a subject, was the right to own property, the right to vote, and the right to bear arms. If you didn't have those three things, then and you were really more of a serf. And again, as Justice Scalia and others have said, uh, you do not have rights without remedies. So, for example, the Soviet Union had a beautifully written constitution. It was glorious, but it was totally irrelevant to Soviet citizens because there was no ability to enforce it. There was no remedy available to you. And again, you cannot have rights without a remedy. And of all the various remedies that the founding fathers gave to Americans to protect ourselves against tyranny in all its forms, and including to the constitutional government, the Republican form of government, they also gave us the right to keep in their arms as a final check to the extent, heaven forbid, tyranny comes here in the way in the means of a foreign invader, civil unrest, common criminals, animal attacks. It doesn't matter. The founding fathers talked about all of those things. And again, you gotta if you can't protect yourself in your life, well, the rest of your rights have no meaning. Mark Smith, can't thank you enough. Let's do this more often. Great. Sounds great. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I appreciate you being here and all the work you do. Let's plug the book one more time. Disarmed what the Ukraine war teaches Americans about the right to bear arms and the four boxes diner YouTube channel for all the Second Amendment conversation. Thanks, Mark. We'll be right back. for me to speak to people who are in the arts and particularly when they want to share some art that they made specifically for an audience like mine. Uh, Wynn Varble has done that. He is a well-known singer-songwriter. He's written some real classics and he's got a new song that is specifically designed to, tw- to trigger the Wokesters, but it's such a good song. We play some of that and then we interview Nashville songwriter Wynn Varble right now. Torn Portland all to pieces And let Chicago go to hell There's people leaving New York City Like they rang the fire bell They call themselves enlightened But cancel those who don't agree Wish all these folks who claim they're woke would just go back to sleep. I'm just saying, have we all lost our minds? I'm just saying, where do we 
you're thinking. So good. All right. Wynn Varble's on the line with me. Wynn, great to meet you. Everyone should check out the songs on YouTube, Spotify. Good morning. Yeah, man. Yeah. Check it out. So, Wynn, t- tell me about uh, the the song itself, how it came to be. It's a clearly one for us politically. Uh, what inspired you? Um, well, I, I actually, I mean... I had a I had a song back in 2003 called Have You Forgotten that Daryl Worley did that was a, a big seven-week number one just talking about people kind of overlooking, kind of sweeping 9-11 under the rug a year and a half after it happened and protesting the war in Afghanistan. And, uh, me and Daryl wrote that. We just got mad and wrote it. And it was kind of the same thing on this one. Uh, I was writing a song with my buddy Mike Loudermilk and uh we got to talking about this all this woke stuff and how it's just tearing this whole country apart and uh we just wrote it and we didn't think nothing about it. I said, Well ain't nobody gonna cut this one, you know. <laughs> and uh and uh actually they Kid Rock showed some interest in it, but he wasn't cutting right away and uh they said maybe in six months. I said, well, they'll be talking about something else in six months. So I played it for Austin, and he uh, he loved it. And he said, man, please let me have that song. So we did. We went in and cut it, and uh, it's, uh, it's it, it is it's just saying what everybody's thinking, you know. Yeah, that's so, right. And and he's got a great voice and a great look, so hopefully this thing breaks out. But uh, the Have You Forgotten is one of the probably the most popular country songs of this century. I mean, that's an amazing thing, and and, and you wrote that. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things that just kind of, you know, sometimes I tell people on songs, certain songs, you know, you you wrote them, but you sometimes you just hold the pen, you know. And the inspiration from God or wherever it comes from just comes through you, you know. And I think Have You Forgotten was definitely one of those songs. So, when where's home for you? Hey, uh, down in Tennessee, Hampshire, Tennessee, close to Nashville. So one thing that's interesting, because I'm, I'm a coastal guy, uh, mostly for work and not necessarily because I feel like that's a long-term plan. Um, but I, we all, we all, those of us who are on the right but live on the coast, we all look at places like Tennessee and think, man, we got to get out there. We want to be there. But then sometimes you see the news and you see the left wingers, you know, rushing the state house in Tennessee too. Is, is the woke virus? How is that going in Nashville? Because I'm scared that it's getting worse there too. It's not just the blue states that are getting it. Well, it is. I mean, it's uh, Nashville's. Uh you know, it's it's always well, not always, but it, in the last you know couple of decades, I'd say it's it's been turning you know a little more to the left. And I mean, you know, I I I don't have any problem with any of these people. I mean, we're all Americans, right? I mean, but you know, when they try to force their stuff on us, that's that's the whole thing. It's like they tell you who this is a very small percentage of the population is these woke folks and they try to tell you who to love how to feel you know you yes know, it's just like it, it just it don't feel right you know and um it's uh yeah nashville isn't you know i mean i live out in the country but uh you know a lot of these folks up in nashville just feel that way and 
And like you said, they're moving in here from California and New York and mm-hmm. all these places. I hope they leave their politics at home, you know, but but uh, it's bound to change some for sure, you know. So, again, you've written three number one songs, uh, working with Daryl Worley and Brad Paisley and so many others it is just a, a laundry list of Garth Brooks, just so many Trace Adkins, just so many superstars. Um, it, it's the... Your politics are very open. Obviously, the content of this song is it's very clear that you're you're taking on the woke left. It's a there's a darkly humorous side to it, but it's pretty serious stuff that's in it. And it's does this put you in jeopardy in terms of being able to work with some of these artists that are even if they might be with us politically, they certainly won't say it out loud a lot of the time. Some of them won't, but um I mean, Jason Aldean's got a song out right now that just came out called Try That in a Small Town, and it's just talking about basically the same thing, you know, how they walk up to you in New York City, you stand on the corner, and they sucker punch you, you know. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, I saw something on the news this morning. It was like this gang on bikes out in L.A. attacked this guy and beat him up and bashed his truck all the I was like, what the heck's got into these people, man? But um, yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely uh, a difference of opinion in inside the music business. Um, you know, country music used to be about kind of country people, you know, and and the way they 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 seemed to seem to have uh, you know catered to the way we feel, and that that's what made me a country music fan, Charlie Daniels and people like that, and. Uh, and there's still a lot of that. I mean, don't don't think they're hidden. But like you said, who who's going to say it? So I just yes. thought, man, I think it's time to say it. You know. Well, well, good for you. And I think history will will. I, I think this song is going to be treated well over time. I think you're going to. It's it's going to be. Sometimes you step out in the breach. It's scary, but it's the ultimately you get recognized for it. Um, it, it, what can people do if they want to support the song, if they want to check it out, if they want to share it? What, what are you hoping for it? Um, I just, you know, we just wanted to get the message out there. Austin did a great job singing it. He's a, he's a real patriot, too. Uh, you know, I mean, I was... Part of the reason Have You Forgotten got born was because at, in my house as a kid, December 7th was not just an ordinary day. You know, it was Pearl Harbor Day. And, sure. And my dad was a very patriotic guy, and, and he made sure we observed it. And then after, you know, a year and a half, it seemed like people were already trying to forget about 9-11, and that's why me and Daryl wrote that song. So <clears throat> I just think this thing's kind of the same thing. It's just like, you know, look at look at what we're doing. Look what we're approving, you know. I mean, it's we're going, if you, you know, if you go along with something, then, you know, you might as well be part of it. Yeah, I love it. Win Varble again is my guest, a Nashville songwriter. The new song, I'm Just Saying, you can check it on YouTube or, or Spotify. So, Win, give me a day in the life because I'm so, uh, I, I grew up around the arts, but I've never been in it. I've been in journalism since I was, since I became a grown up. So, it's the, give me a day in the life when you're a songwriter. Are you, are you constantly looking for that inspiration? Do you have a routine that you do? Because, I'm, there's a business element, but then there's a creative element, and that can be really hard to balance sometimes. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It's a, uh, you know, I, when you come to Nashville to be a songwriter, uh, 
you kind of don't even so a lot of people don't even realize it's a business here and it's it's a yeah. pretty big business um we set up appointments we co-write with each other just because we have to you know we're trying to crank out a song two or three songs a week at least you know and uh you're just not gonna have that much inspiration so you uh you lean on each other two heads are better than one kind of thing and we might meet up in a you know in an office or at somebody's house and just get together and start throwing some ideas back and forth and see what we can come up with that might be good. Um, you know, get a little groove going on the guitar or the piano or something. And uh, then sometimes you're riding down the road in your truck and it hits you, you know. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, but yeah, we're always kind of got the radar on looking for some kind of yeah. idea, you know, to, to jump down on, you know. It's. Do you feel like now that you're openly a patriotic guy, conservative guy, and some of that content comes through? Um, do you feel like some of that? Do you feel like it's it's more challenging now than ever because it does feel like a lot of left wingers in the country music world are really a lot more open and vocal than they were, or do you feel like things are maybe getting better? Maybe there's more people are like you or saying I don't want to stay on the sidelines anymore. They're getting the kids involved. They're ruining some of the some of the red states that have big cities in them. It, now it's time to step up. Where do you think the trend line is going? Um, I think you know. I mean, you got guys like my buddy Jeffrey Steele, you know, and then John's buddy, yes. you know, uh, we love Jeff Steele. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, I've been buddies with him about thirty years, and and I mean, if you met Jeffrey, you wouldn't. You might think he's some surfer dude from California, but he. Mm-hmm. He's as hardcore as you can get, you know, politically, and uh, and and it's, you know, we just want we're like everybody else. I think I think we just want what's best for the country, and I, you know, it just it's hard for me to believe. I know they believe what they believe as much as I believe what I believe, and that's that's amazing to me. You know, it's like really, do you really think that's going to work? You know. But, you know, I mean, you're not going to change their mind, and they're not going to change our mind. We've got to find some way to compromise, um, even in the country music business, you know. And uh, I think, to answer your question, I think that if I think that country music has to sing to their audience. And they can get as woke as they want to get, mm-hmm. but if the, if the common country music fan don't want to hear that, then they're just spinning their wheels, you know. You gotta, you gotta sing to your audience, right? That's right. I mean, that's common sense. And there's a huge audience for this stuff, and uh, we're happy to get the word out. Win Varble, Nashville songwriter. I'm just saying, it's a new song performed by Austin Moody. Uh, Zach, play me another minute here before we let Win run. Thanks, Win. Appreciate you, my friend. Appreciate y'all. Keep up the good work. We will. All right. I believe in living, little live. We're all free to each their own. If you were born a he, but want to be a she, do your thing, but leave my kids alone. I'm just saying, have we all lost our minds? 
That's today's broadcast. Thanks so much to our producers, Zach Jones and Bill Barnett. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And all of you who stick with me, share our content at Breitbart News. Go to the front page of Breitbart.com. We can't thank you enough, and I will talk to you soon. I got stars in my eyes.